surely not analysis or actual reflection, accounts for an excuse based simply on a woman's sex and not on what she does or is capable of doing. Welcome to Man Unmade, a podcast normalizing the authority and power of women's voices in a man's ear. And that's also all of us are going to make mistakes and all of us are going to, you know, get it wrong sometimes. But um, that if we're able to sit with the discomfort of those things, though, and be accountable and hopefully be met with some kind of grace and love. Um, and mm. if we're not met with that grace and love, we can still proceed with grace and love. Then, yeah. I, then I think we're going to be OK. I think it's all going to be OK. For me, today's guest is like a waterfall. Let's say Niagara, for instance, whether or not you ever see it, Niagara Falls will keep doing its amazing, breathtaking, awe-inspiring thing every day, with or without you. Just like Laverne Cox. Whether or not you've seen her work, been around her energy, been inspired by her story, she's going to keep doing her thing, and it will continue to blow people away. The thing is, it's up to you whether you open your eyes, your mind, and your heart, and take in all that is Laverne Cox. Me, I'm lucky. I mean, sure, I choose to listen to her podcast, The Laverne Cox Show, or watch the movies and shows she's in, which you should as well. But today, I actually got to sit down and have my own private conversation with a woman I deeply admire, Laverne Cox. And well, she did her thing. As for me, I just tried to keep up. Enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back into the pod. Um, what a special day. Um, of course, I feel like all the days are special because if anybody agrees to talk to me ever, I'm always like, thank you so much. Um, before we get started, I want to say this, and my guest totally understands this because she has a podcast as well. Um, but if you like what you're hearing, please uh, give us a rating over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, if they allow you to give a rating and you've got something positive to say, please say it. Uh, that would be amazing. That helps us out. All right, enough of that business. Okay, here's the deal. We are jumping in the pod today, and I I really still can't even believe I'm saying this. Um, my upper lip is sweating. My The palms of my hands are soaking wet. I'm so <laughs> nervous. Uh, Laverne Cox, she is here with us today. Hi, Laverne. Why are you nervous, Clint? It's just me. What's going on? I Talk mean, to me. I, <laughs> just that. I, I, I'm. I just think the world of you and Aww. I still I'm I'm like why in the hell did you even agree to talk to me uh, which you already answered when we were before we started talking <laughs> yes I am a huge um HDTV watcher yeah. and when I became obsessed with HDTV three years ago yes I literally watched every episode of Fixer Opera and there a lot of them are saved on my DVR yes. in California <laughs> and so of course I became familiar with Clint and his brilliant work on oh, the show oh and my so gosh. i think i just wanted to like like gossip about joanna and chip <laughs> and like say like to someone who knows joanna like she's she so perfect and beautiful and calm yeah, like yeah. she is one of those women who seems so perfect that like she makes 
the rest of us like feel awful about ourselves <laughs> because she's gorgeous. She's stunningly beautiful. It doesn't seem like she's wearing uh, makeup. She's got that yeah. perfect no makeup makeup look. I don't know what's going on. She's yeah. always so calm. Chip does all all the things, and she's just uh-huh. so adorable. And they're so yes. cute, yeah. and it's just like perfection. It's yeah. like uh, yes. how what is going? Is she tell well, me she's not always <laughs> well. Here, here's the good news, Laverne. No one's listening to this podcast, so we can just talk. <laughs> Okay, let's be real. I'll, let's just I'll break just, it down. I'll just give you all the dirt on Joanna and Chip. I mean, the whole time. That's just what we can talk about. <laughs> I'm sort of kidding, but I'm sort of not. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. They are they are the greatest. Um, yeah, honestly, it doesn't even matter why you would ever even agree to talk to me. Uh, fixer, upper, whatever. Uh, I, I'm just like, great. Let's, uh, yeah, let's talk. Amazing. So what do you want to talk about? Well, I'm just, first of all, I'm so thankful, um, that you agreed, um, to talk. Um, of course we got connected through my amazing and wonderful wife, Kelly. Um, she happened to share something that you posted and you like, totally flipped out and we're like oh my gosh and you reposted and you were like i love fixer upper this is such a moment for me and we were like what (laughs) (laughs) what is happening right now (laughs) and and uh and so i have gtv brings the people together it just brings like america (laughs) and the world together and you know what hgtv you're welcome and if you would like to pay me for that sound clip of laverne saying (laughs) Uh, and I'll split it with you 50-50, Laverne, of you saying HGTV brings the world together. Y'all, you can talk to us. Have your agents call our agents, and we'll work it out, because um, that's beautiful. You're right. It does. And, um, and of course, now the Magnolia Network uh, is going to take over the world, and, um, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just getting bigger and, and better, and we're all really, really I excited. just got Discovery Plus so I could watch more new episodes of um, Big Scrubber. Yes. I, yeah. Oh, nice. It worked. <laughs> there you <laughs> were. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Discovery Plus, what? And so I'm, like, in the app store, like, downloading it, and it's, like, a whole thing. And I have new episodes that I haven't watched yet because I've been so busy, so I'm actually really excited. Oh, um, you've got to get in there. I mean, yeah. you got to do it. That's, yeah. oh, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, yeah, well. I never that's... get tired of, like, like make home makeover shows. I'm, like, so obsessed right now and, like, just, yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> well, it's, like, if you want to watch something that you maybe in your head would like to do one day, but you know you probably won't, you know, like, that's a great excuse right there. It's like, I know I'm probably never going to rip into my house and, like, demo walls, but it's fun to live vicariously through some people that do it. I met with a con. I have. I, I said told you, told you earlier. I bought a condo in New York, and mm-hmm. we're we're doing a little. It was supposed going to be a light renovation, and now it's mm-hmm. become a little heavier. Mm-hmm. And it's a really small space, and all of my HGTV watching and other, <laughs> you know, real estate design stuff. It's come in handy as mm-hmm. I've um, been very um, controlling with my architect about uh, materials and um, finishes and. All the things. It's that's been so really good. Fun. Yeah, that's Process so good. Fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's like a practical application of the thing. It's like you're not necessarily going to go and swing a hammer through the wall. Maybe that's not your jam. Maybe it is. No, no, I don't no. know. Yeah, we hire people for that. <laughs> yes, but you don't you, want me now, with a hammer. Now you don't you want to learn with a hammer. <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be pretty great. Um, I, I think just your laugh after you punch a hole in the first wall that you hit. 
the your laugh that would like come after that would just be <laughs> worth it all. I think you would just feel giddy after doing it. <laughs> it does seem kind of cathartic to do demo. Um, it is. Yeah. It is. Well, I, I I think it's great. Like that's a great application because HGTV is actually giving you language. Um, to talk about this stuff, you know, like with a contractor and go, wait a second, no, I, that's not what I asked. Or, you know, no, that's not, you're not doing that right. You know, I know that that's not the way that goes. And you know what? I'm about to uh, do a segue here, giving language, right? Like that's why, that's why you're on today. That's it. That's, oh. you know, because, you know, listening to you has helped um, me have language and understanding um, uh, of a world that I'm not familiar with. And I want to be familiar with, and um, and uh, I've ignorantly been a negative part of that world um, mm. in in my earlier days. Um, I'm an emotional person, so if I start to cry, Laverne, I'm sorry. Uh, you'll have to just bear I'm with okay me. I'm okay with that. I, um, I don't mind emotions. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can cry together. It's that sounds good. like my wife. She's like, I want emotions. Give me emotions. <laughs> And apparently, my I'm emotion suppressed. That's my. Do you, have you heard of the Enneagram? Of course, you have. You've heard of the Enneagram, right? I have not actually. You haven't? Oh, okay. Enneagram. It's it's a, like one of those personality things, and you're like a number, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What? Anyways, mm -hmm. it's really effective. And um, I'm a seven, which apparently, like sevens, can be emotionally suppressed. So that's yeah. So anyways, um, but I actually let my emotions out a lot, and you know, they, I cry. So if I cry today, there you go. That's just what's going to happen. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, I um, I think that it's so important um, to have these discussions. Um, I think that you are just the the perfect guest um, because what we're trying to do with this show is say, hey, look, I'm I'm I need to be in the student's chair here. I need to learn from women. And, um, and you know, the more um, I've, as I've grown up, I listen to other people. And, you know, that's the story of our life. We listen to people that are above us or whatever. And if they are okay with something, then we go, oh, okay, that's okay, right? Or, oh, that's a safe topic because this person that I really admire is talking about it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that there's anybody out there that admires me, um, but I do think that there is strength in numbers, right? And I think that there um, is something to the fact that, like, I would uh, say, hey, yeah, let's talk to Laverne Cox because you are every bit woman, and yet you are fighting um, for that identity, I feel like, all the time. I, I just watched Disclosure. Let me put that that Thank way. Thank you for watching. I appreciate that. Oh my gosh, Laverne! Like that is, I can't tell people enough to watch that show, and what the transgender community is going through, and that's what I mean by fighting for or whatever. Um, having to say we are who we are, like, and what the world has, you know, put y'all through. I, it's it's mind blowing. So, anyways, I just wanted to have a discussion with you and and learn and talk. And as I've said on this podcast many times already, I'm probably going to say something really stupid at some point, and that's the point. Not not on purpose, and it's not meant to hurt anybody or anything, but because I'm probably really ignorant when it comes to a lot of things, and I want to learn from you. Well, so, we all are. We all are ignorant about certain things. And, you know, the other reason I said yes to um, coming on the podcast is that I think I've been in 
many. Um, I'm 48 years old, so and I've lived my life. I've been in many intimate relationships with mm-hmm. straight white men. Um, mm. I've mostly dated white men, which is a whole other conversation in New York okay. and LA mm. and um, they're straight and I'm trans and there's mm. so much um, stuff that I've experienced with these men that has been um, there's so much pain that they're in and so much shame mm. that they have about um, being attracted to me and so much stigma mm. that they get from the world and mm. it just may, has made it very clear to me that as a feminist as well, that a lot of the work that women have been doing so much incredible work and in, in, in stepping into ourselves and mm. claiming power and mm-hmm. and we're independent now and we really don't need men to like take care of us, but some of us love, still love men and want to be in relationships with them, um, mm. and but we're empowered now and a lot of men don't actually know what to do with that, you know, and it's not mm. even just about me being trans. It's like we have to revision um, masculinity and and manhood and what that looks like. And so mm. I'm very interested in having conversations with um, open-minded men about what that might look like and how we destigmatize yeah. um, vulnerability. Um, because I think that Brene Brown, who your, your wife is obviously a huge fan of and so am yeah, I, always, um, when she talks about vulnerability, she says that still the number one um, um, barrier to vulnerability for men is to be mm. um, perceived as weak. Um, right. Um, mm. For women, it's appearance and body image, it, unfortunately, still. And for men, it's mm. um, the myth that vulnerability means weakness. And so I think that really, how do we create spaces of vulnerability for everyone? Because vulnerability is, you know, the site of all the beautiful, awesome things that we yes. can have in life when vulnerability has been, you know, sort of thought of as being weak or um or if we live in an unsafe world, right, where vulnerability yeah. could mean death if you're a person of color or a trans person. Mm. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so I want to back the tape up a little bit. We always mm-hmm. start with somewhat of like an origin story. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, candidly, most of the people um, that follow me are that, that might listen to this um, are probably not... <coughs> you know, very well-educated when it comes to Laverne Cox. And um, so I don't want you to have to tell your whole life story, which I'm sure you've probably told a thousand times, but I would love to know a little bit about your origin story. You know, I'm originally from Georgia. Um, I know that you're from Alabama, and I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Transgender youth in Alabama. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, it's... It was a different time. I have, you know, mm-hmm. I know I haven't lived in Alabama full time since then, or since nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one or something. I graduated okay. from high school in nineteen ninety one. Um, yeah, I graduated okay. from high school in nineteen ninety one, and I went to the Alabama School of Fine Arts in Birmingham. But I'm from okay. Mobile, so I was, went to an, uh, an art school, which was a boarding school in Birmingham for four years. I was I studied classical ballet and creative writing. Mm. And when I graduated from high school, wow. I left Alabama never to return. I've been back. <laughs> I've been back to visit my yes. mom, who still lives there, and I go see my mom and try to discreetly go and just hang out with her when I go back. Okay. Um, but when, so when I was a kid growing up in Alabama um, in the 70s and 80s, I mm-hmm. was very gender non-conforming, meaning that I was assigned male at birth and mm-hmm. everyone thought that I was a boy, but I was very feminine. Mm-hmm. And I was bullied because of that. I was bullied by the mm-hmm. other kids. I, my gender expression was policed by my teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I 
I've told the story a zillion times, but in third grade, my third grade teacher, Miss Ridgeway, called my mother on the phone and said, your son is going to end up in New Orleans wearing a dress if we don't get him into oh. therapy right away. And um, I was taken to a therapist. And um, How old I, were you at that point? I was this third grade, so I was like eight or nine years old. Okay, third grade, okay. Um, so I was like eight years oh old um, or so, yeah. and I went to a therapist. And the interesting thing is the therapist asked me if I knew the difference between a boy and a girl. And at the time, everyone was telling me that I was a boy, but I knew in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit that I was a girl. But mm -hmm. I didn't know how to really express that. So when he asked me if I knew the difference between a boy and a girl, I said, there is no difference. Mm. And mm. that was the only way that I could kind of rationalize how I felt inside and then what the world was telling me about myself. Wow. And I thought, because I watched a lot of TV as a kid too, I thought that there was a thing called doctor-patient privilege. Um, but apparently <laughs> children do not have doctor-patient privilege. So the no. therapist said everything to my mom that um, I had said to him and my mother yelled at me and was like, a girl is this and a boy is this. And I kept, I went to the therapist for a few more sessions and eventually they, um, the um, therapist said that we should um, inject Laverne, and then Laverne was my middle name before I transitioned. I don't like to dead name myself and talk about my old first name. Mm -hmm. But so I'll just say um, the therapist said we should inject Laverne with testosterone to make her more masculine. So this is third grade. I haven't even gone through puberty yet. And so oh this goodness. sort of reparative therapy, the idea was to inject me with testosterone and somehow I would become, you know, mm -hmm a masculine child, you know, which seems mm. insane to me yeah. <laughs> at this point yeah. in my yeah. life. Um, and it seemed insane to my mother, thank God. So she didn't, oh, we, she was like, oh, that's crazy. I'm not, she's just, my mother's not really into like, you know, when I went on hormones years later, she was, she freaked out um, when I went on estrogen. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so it was, so this therapy was discontinued, but what that taught me is that, my gender expression was something that meant I, there was something wrong with me. It meant mm. that um, people would try to change me. I needed to try to change myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I internalized a lot of shame about how feminine yeah. I was. And, and so I, people who grew up with me wouldn't think that I was trying to be masculine because <laughs> I just failed miserably at it. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I tried. I, I tried my best and it just didn't really work very well. I'm honestly and, not good at it either. I, I, <laughs> Gender is a performance, you know? It's always a performance. So sometimes we can perform it better than others. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they're authentic things, too, that we, that are, there, there are things that are about us. You know, I think there's performative elements of gender, but then I also think um, that's a very Judith Butler kind of, um, who's a you know, feminist theorist who would say all gender is performative. But I also think there's some things, Julius Rano would say, that there's some things that are inherently me. Before I, like, mm. knew anything, I would, like, I switch my hips. And I, there was a picture of me on Christmas morning with a walkie-talkie when I was six years old with holding mm. my hand in the air, my hand <laughs> on my hip, and my hip um, pushed out, you know? Yeah. I was just, I was just a femme kid because that's just who I was, yeah. you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't help it; I really couldn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, you know, going to when I went to the Alabama School of Fine Arts, what was great about that is that I was away from my mother, and it was, I was at an art school, so I felt a freedom to kind of dress, start you know, dressing in a more um, way that felt more consistent with who I was. I was terrified mm -hmm. of wearing a dress or a skirt because Miss Ridgeway um, said I'd end up in New Orleans wearing a dress, and I. But it's interesting how a statement like that stays with you. Oh my so gosh, even yeah. though I wanted to wear dresses and skirts in high school. 
I was like, I don't want to end up in New Orleans wearing a dress. And for me, what that meant is if in as my eighth grade mind, I was like, I'm going to end up homeless on the street in a dress oh and destitute and on drugs and just strung out. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. like my, my, in my mind as an eight year old. So I was like, I can't yeah. do that. But I was like, so I, I wore a lot of culottes and wide leg bell bottoms. And I, I, wore, um, <laughs> I shopped at Salvation Army and like Goodwill. And I, I got these amazing polyester bell bottoms they were like really huge and they started out as a jumpsuit I cut the top of the jumpsuit off and they oh. were these huge pants like it was <laughs> crazy and, 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 awesome. and the kids were like you're so far ahead of the curve <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, so this freshman year in high school this would have been I would have been like 15 so this would have been like um, um 1985 or 6 or something you know okay. um probably in 1986 um and <laughs> And I'm just, I'm like this, this black kid, you know, with these polyester bell bottoms and they got for 99 cents with the Salvation Army. And the kids, <laughs> even at an art school, were just kind of like, what's going on? <laughs> it's like, even, and what was deep for me, you know, looking back is that even at an art school where, where everyone was kind of different, I yeah. stood out and I, and mm. people were like, and I think what I understand now is that some of that was also racialized, right? And it was so mm. beautiful, because I've talked about this publicly, um, some of the, um, up until my high school years, I missed the bullying I experienced from kids was about my um, gender and perceived you know, sexuality. People called me, the kids called me gay and sissy and the F word. And when I got mm. to the Alabama School of Fine Arts and I was mostly around white kids from affluent backgrounds and I was there on scholarship, although I didn't talk about that, I mm. felt a lot of shame about class. And then I, experience being called a racial slur for the first time my freshman year at the Alabama School of Fine Arts from another um, kid, one of the white kids, Ooh. who I thought was my friend. And that yeah. was like, I still actually can't even say publicly what he said to me. Yeah. Ooh, it's so, like, that's deep, deep how painful mm. that is. Mm. Um, and so, and what, so part of it was my gender expression, but it was also racialized. And I talked about this publicly, and I was in a, um, just, I was in a chat room for the Alabama School of Fine Arts, and they were like, this happened, Laverne Cox said this happened at ASFA and one, it was, was so beautiful. One of my classmates, um, Katie Torbert, was like, yeah, I was in, in, in class with her and yes, she experienced this. And so it was just, hmm. and we're, so, we're gaslit so much in this culture yeah. and told that we're like yeah. crazy and that we're over-exaggerating things and that racism hmm. doesn't exist and transphobia doesn't exist. And it was so beautiful yeah. that this woman who was my friend in high school, a white, a white woman, she was an, um, an opera major, like, in this forum on Facebook, it's so random. I should tell Katie that I saw that and it made, it brought tears to my eyes because it was like, I know that this was happening, right? Like, yeah. I know I was called a racial slur. I know that I just internalized shame because, like, I was on scholarship and didn't have all this other stuff that the rich white kids had in the dorms. And, sure. like, there was a friend who was like, yeah, she experienced this. Yes, people made fun of her because of her gender and it was racialized, right? Yeah. So it's like... Oof. Yeah, that happened. It was Alabama. So, I mean, you know, it's not that none of that's surprising, but it has mm. an impact on like racism, transphobia, all of that stuff had an impact on how I saw myself. And I internalized so much shame about that, all of that stuff, and felt like I was less than. And, you know, for all the Brene Brown stands out there, <laughs> or the non, you know, you know, when I talk, when, I'm, when I say shame, I mean, Brene yeah. defines shame as the intensely painful belief that we have about ourselves that we're unworthy of connection and belonging. She says yeah. that guilt is, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, and shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. 
And even though I was this kid who seemed outgoing and confident, I had so much shame about who I was. And, um, and it and it's and it had an effect and i'm so grateful that i i moved to new york when i did and i met incredible trans women in the club scene and was able to see myself in those women mm-hmm. and accept them and eventually accept myself i'm so grateful that at the beginning of my um two years into my transition actually and when i when my, my original doctor who i went to for um hormones retired and i went to the Callan lord community health center and they were like well I, we're going to keep you on your hormones but we require therapy right so I I didn't think mm-hmm. I needed therapy 21 years ago in two, the year 2000. <laughs> I thought because I had, you know, read Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde and Foucault right. and uh, that I, I, was, I was smart and I knew everything. And yes. I had not dealt with any of that childhood trauma. And so I'm mm-hmm. in, I was, remember being in my first therapy session with this therapist. She was a French woman at Callan Lord. And I would just recount some of the brutal things that kids did to me, brutal stuff kids did to me, like it had happened to someone else. And I was so completely disassociated from it. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, you're saying this as if like you're reading a newspaper, like it's happened to someone else. And mm-hmm. I just hadn't like, cause mm-hmm. I could just survive. I had to sort of just, there's no way I could actually feel all the feelings that yeah. I had. You had to keep and like a I, safe distance from all that or something. I had yeah. to to survive. So I didn't yeah. even fully, I was, I was just, I disassociated. Oh. So yeah. over the next several years with her and with other therapists, I started. And then with my acting training, I got very serious um, about mm. studying acting. So I had to deal as an actor, you have to deal with your feelings. So with my acting training and with therapists, I started to slowly deal with my childhood trauma. And it mm. was it was it was messy it was messy mm. and it was painful and sometimes i felt like i was going to die i would be in acting classes doing sense memory work sense memory is when you um uh, when actors take a, a parallel event from their lives um and give it to and give it to the characters and, and with sense memory work you take yourself back to this a moment in time like literally it'd be like a moment in time where you you know fear for your life you know mm. and you know what clothes were you wearing in that moment were there significant people in in the um in the incident so you you take your imagination to those events from your life and then you okay. use the sensations from that um, for the scene, for the character. And I'm going back to stuff that I had just like buried. And I, wow. there were three different times I was in acting class doing sense memory work and literally vomiting. Literally oh. like just like all the, I'm crying so much and there's snot and I can't breathe. Yeah. And all these emotions are coming up. The physical trauma is coming up and Oof. I'm vomiting. And wow feeling sick and just being completely depleted. And so <laughs> and it sounds intense. I'm like, and it was, it really yeah. was. But um, I'm so grateful that I've been, do- I've d- did that work then that I continue to do this mm. difficult, painful work to heal from my trauma, to heal and find um, trauma resilience and shame resilience. And what, I, yeah. and what I'd like to say to people is that it is possible, that the healing is possible. It's gonna suck. And if you if you have some trauma <laughs> and yeah. you have yeah. some shame and that you have to kind of, you know, work out of your body, it's not always gonna feel good. And you hopefully yeah. you have a great therapist or acting teacher or or whoever. And, 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 and acting is not therapy, so I don't want to make it seem like that acting, we use the work, um, we use our memories and our experiences for the work. Um, but hopefully you yeah. have people. I've had great teachers and great therapists who can guide you through all this work so that you can, um, you can come out on the other side and we don't have to be 
overly defined by, and I mean, I think for years too, I did a college lecture tour for many years where I talked a lot about my childhood and the trauma and the shame. And I think just going for like six years and talking to students and sharing the story, I've taken, I've, I'm able to rewrite the uh, Write a Brave New Ending. I'm owning that mm. history of bullying. I'm owning that history of shame and trauma. And it happened but I also was a straight-A student, and I also won many talent shows and was vice president of the student council. And like mm. I, in the face of all that, I was resilient, and I found a way to survive it, and I found a way to even thrive and be myself and be authentic. And I've made mistakes through my life, and I haven't always been the best person to people. And I've tried to make amends when I, you know, when I've been wrong, when I've wronged someone. But it's yes, I, I there's trauma, and yes, there was bullying and violence. But that there, that's not all there was. There was also right. a mother who, you know emphasized education. I, I know that the reason I'm here and it's part of my life is because I got a great education and my mother mm. prioritized that. I know that I'm here because my mother let me take those dance classes, even though people were telling her that I needed to be taking, Miss Ridgeway said, you need to take that child out of those yeah. um, ballet classes that's right. making them gay. And my mother said, no. And it, that, could just, that just makes me cry now because that was my only mm. refuge was dancing. And mm teachers and other parents were telling her to take me out of those classes and she said no even mm. though my mother policed my gender too she was not perfect but she she wanted to dance when she was a kid and her dad said no and mm. so she didn't want to do that to us and mm. that saved my life it saved oh my, my life i know it saved my life so um wow yeah oof mm. wow <clears throat> okay <laughs> my goodness um when i was uh, i was okay gosh so much wow thank yeah, you yeah there's a lot there <laughs> um in such a great way though um man um so i was listening to your podcast which mm -hmm. is insanely good like thank you i mean it's so good um i was i actually listened back to the brene brown episode and in that, um, she tells this moment of where she like, she's like, I got really good at throwing a football and, and I could spit far and I could shoot a gun really well and I could do all yeah. this stuff. And, and there was like this moment where, you know, she kind of got better than the boys. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. at that point she was asked to come back inside. Yeah. And as I was listening to that, and I, I think you've kind of already answered this question, but my thought was, when did Laverne get asked to come back inside? You know, like, was there a moment for you? And and maybe that was with your teacher, you know, where it was like, okay, this is getting a little too intense for everybody. You need to come back inside now. It was my whole childhood. It was my whole Just, childhood. It was when I, during PE, mm. when we had free play, when there used to be physical education in schools, we would have mm. um, PE and we'd have free play and I would be off with music in my head dancing, do, mm. um, doing the moves I saw in Solid Gold. I wanted to be Darcel <laughs> from Solid Gold. You know? <laughs> Do you, do, do we know Solid Gold from I, back I in the 80s? I know Solid Gold, yes. Darcel Wynn was like the lead dancer on Solid Gold. She's this beautiful, insanely gorgeous black woman with like this weave down to her ankles, this long hair, literally down to okay. her ankles. Okay. And she was so sexy. I look back at these videos and I'm like, this woman was really sexy. And I wanted to be Darcel when I was like eight years old. 
<laughs> so I was like doing solid gold moves, you know, in you know yeah. in pre-play, you know, doing PE, and so I the kids always made fun of me, but I. And they always made fun of me, and they always, and I got chased home from school practically every day, and I was beaten up many times by um, mm. children. So my whole existence with other children growing up was like, you, you can't do this, but I did it anyway. Mm. And um, it, I, ha- I had to. I mean, I yeah. think it's the only, if I didn't have dancing, I just don't think I would have survived. I just, I wow. know I would have. Um, it was an outlet that like, and that's why I'm just so grateful for my life because I know I'm grateful for art in my life um, mm. and performing because it just, I just saved my life. So, I mean, my whole childhood was like, even in an art school, it's like, because um, my first two years at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, because um, when I started studying dance in third grade, I, um, I only studied tap and jazz. My mother thought that ballet was too gay and, it, and mm. there was this whole thing about tights and she didn't want me wearing tights. It just seemed too mm. much. And so I was like, okay, my mom is like, <laughs> it took me three years. Like, um, it took me, when I started, was at five years old, I was like, I'm gonna take dance classes. It took me three years to get her to like, let me take dance classes. I was like, okay, yeah. let's like, like not push it. So I took, <laughs> so we only took tap and jazz. And so when I wanted to go to the Alabama School of Fine Arts at the time, ASFA was a ballet only dance program. And I wanted to be a dance major, but I knew I needed a scholarship and I didn't think I could get in um, with a scholarship if I had never studied ballet before. So my plan, because I had been writing essays and poetry a lot, um, was I auditioned as a creative writing major, get in, get a scholarship and start taking ballet classes and switch my major to dance. That's okay. what I did. Okay. But my first two years at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, I was always dancing because I always danced as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so the kids were like, you're in creative writing. Why are you always dancing? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it was like, who are you? What do you, I mean, it was, I remember that we had a nerd day um, where the, every, all the kids were supposed to dress up as nerds. And I wore glasses at the time and three kids dressed up like me mm. um, on nerd day. And it was like... <sighs> I just remember feeling so humiliated and so yeah. um, humiliation is the only <laughs> word that I can, that comes to mind. I just, yeah. it was like, I, I was just like, Oh my God. Mortified. It, was, it was mortifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I kept dancing and I kept mm. um, dreaming and I kept, um, I had, you know, as a kid, I was like, one day I'm going to show all of you. One day I'm going to be rich and famous and I'm going to show all of you. That's literally what I would say to myself. And it's yeah. a very childish thing to say, but I was a child after all. And, um, fair. Yeah. you know, it, it took it took a really long time. My break, um, breakthrough moment in my career happened when I was 40 years old. But like, you know, God's time, hey, not my time. That, there you go. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, as you say that about the dancing, I'm I'm uh, reminded of this commercial. I don't know what it was for, but it's like this kid. He's like supposed. I think he's like really good at basketball or something like that. And like his dad, um, he, he like wins the championship or something. Anyways, he then like totally disappoints his dad, and it's supposed to be like a joke. And because he says like, "But dad, all I want to do is dance." Mm. And he and like as the streamers are falling, he's just like dancing on the court in mm. his like basketball outfit. That's so a commercial. I've never seen yeah, that. that yeah, was, a, was like, yeah. What? No, that's a commercial. Yeah, I forget what it was. Somebody listening will like you know of the three people that listen, maybe y'all have like heard um, <laughs> uh, about this. But um, I'll try and remember what it was. But I think about that, you know, and just how those messages are sent all the time oh yeah just 
and, and you you then have to like ingest that right like you see one of it. my one of my best girlfriends who's an actress um she's an actress and she um was is from a very affluent background um she's trans and mm -hmm. an actress she wanted to take dance classes as a kid and her parents said absolutely not mm. and to her credit she started taking ballet classes at like 30 years old um, oh, wow. which is so beautiful but I just, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that yeah. my mom, you know, when people ask me how I've gotten to where I am, so much of it is because my mother supported my dreams of, of mm. dancing and my mother was an academic herself and was like, we've got to get this education. Yeah. That is, those are the two main reasons. And there's something yeah. very privileged about that. You know, we we're talking a lot about privilege now and I always like to remind people that privilege is contextual. So we may be mm. the most privileged person in one room and the least privileged in another education mm -hmm. and an arts education is an insanely amazing privilege that really sure. set the stage for me. Studying ballet in high school and college gave me a grounding for professionalism and work ethic that I take to every job that I do. Yeah. I am, I'm a professional and I'm really proud of that. I'm, I, I'm respectful mm -hmm. to the people that I work with. I show up on time. I prepare. I'm, disciplined and that started with my ballet training it really did and wow. I, when i see um young trans actors who want to be in the business then i'm hearing unfortunate things about how they're act behaving on set i hung out with some friends last night and i heard some really unfortunate things and it just pisses me off because mm. we it's it's, it's it's unacceptable for um for an actor for an artist to go onto a job and be and be cruel just needlessly mm, cruel yeah, to yeah. wardrobe people or hair and makeup people or not show up for work not yeah. show up for work right. yeah. I, yeah. I, what I, it, it really upsets me and I just I don't even know what I'm gonna do I'm sorry this is just on my mind <laughs> I'm ranting but this just happened out. last yeah. night but it's just we have to be. And it's not even that we're trans and we should be lucky to be in rooms, right? Because I think that mentality is is problematic because it means sometimes we accept things that we shouldn't. And I probably certainly have mm -hmm. probably accepted some things that I shouldn't accept. Okay. But at the same time, I think it's so important, no matter who you are to treat people well and no matter who yeah. you are to be professional and prepared and... It's just very disconcerting for me when I hear stories like that. But it's like that's right. not. And it, ultimately, I'm only responsible for myself. Sure. And I, and I think people. And, and I'm only responsible for the example that I can give. And um, yeah. it's really sort of a thing of more of attraction than promotion, right? So if I'm professional and in people's you know, ask my advice, I'll tell them. And I am proud of a few um, trans women I've spoken with who are working in the business now who asked my advice. And I told them to be prepared mm -hmm. and over-prepared and, and, and show up and be kind to people. And it's paying off for them. And it make, that makes me really happy. You could do so many things with your voice and what you actually choose to use it for is it just continually blows me away. I, I really, you know, you could be the most hate-filled person <laughs> ever uh, with all that you've been through. And you just, every time I listen to you, I just am like blown away um, by the kindness that you project and what you're using your energy for is, it just is, um, it's it's amazing and just an incredible thing for all of us. Uh, to take in. Okay, everybody, Man Unmade was created to amplify women's voices. And early on, we decided that beyond each interview, we also wanted to highlight women in business and music. So in each episode, we'll take time out to turn you on to a new business you've maybe never heard of and a singer-songwriter whose music we think you should try out. The music will come at the end of each podcast, so make sure you keep listening after we've wrapped the interview. 
If you're listening now and you happen to own or work for or have a friend with a business, or if you know of an artist or you are one, shoot us an email to contact at manunmadepodcast.com. But the spotlight on women's businesses is right now. And this week, we're going to shine the light on something a little bit different. We're not going to highlight a woman in business, but we are going to highlight EqualityTexas.org. Equality Texas works to secure full equality for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer Texans through political action, education, community organizing, and collaboration. So you hear that and you go, all right, great. Well, what do I do? All right. Well, here's your call to action. Take time. Call. Get to know your representatives. Let them know you do not support the anti-trans bills and amendments and keep them off the House floor. Check them out online at EqualityTexas.org. Under the tab, Get Involved, you can click Become an Equality Texan and get alerts when you need to take action. It's a great site. They're doing great work, and we highly encourage you to look into it, to consider what you can do. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, but what can you do to help our friends? Uh, And EqualityTexas.org, they are doing just that. Go follow them on social at Equality Texas. Again, that's at Equality Texas. Okay, that's it, friends. Back to the show. The story of women's struggle for equality belongs to no single feminist, nor to any one organization, but to the collective efforts of all who care about human rights. Gloria Steinem. So talking about that um, that dance video, whatever, that commercial I was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it, it um, brings me to this point. Um, and, and this is, you know, not an easy one for me to say. Um, because, uh, I feel, uh, I feel bad for it and I should. And, um, and I've had to say this in other podcasts with other women. Um, it's not your job to carry any of my emotions or anything, you know, so I, I, I have no that. expectations on you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you, I'm sure you do. You're very, uh, uh, farther down the road. 21 years of therapy. Yes. Right, right, right. So I want it to come out of my mouth though, um, that I recognize this is just, this is for me to work with, but I, I want to, you know, say this, that, um, you know, we're living in a day and time where um, we are waking up to things. Um, it's, it's a lot of painful things have had to happen for us to get here, and we still have so many more miles to go. Um, but we are waking up to the fact that, um, hey, guess what? White people were all really racist to some degree, um, and we need to, like, if you want to be anti-racist, you know, that's one thing, but, like, to sit here and say, I'm not racist, well, well, you know what, like, if you actually look at what you have been taught your whole life, you're going to have tendencies that, you know, um, that might even in some ways, at some point in your life, they were out of your control, like what you were brought up around and things Mm -hmm. like that, so... But what you can do is recognize that, right? And call yeah. it out and talk yeah. about it and just say, no, this is, yeah, like I look at this person and I think this, and I don't want that anymore in my life. I recognize yeah. that as bad. And so, you know, I look at it and go, look, my ancestors, uh, you know, you go way back in the in the analogs of history, they were probably slave owners. Um, and they you know, there was racism, I'm sure, that existed. Did I own slaves? No, no, I get it. But did I, um, ugh. did I make jokes when I was younger? Um, 
at the expense of you know black people or people of color yeah you know i was a a, a young kid growing up in the south and uh that's what you did even if you had black friends um you, there were just still jokes that you made mm -hmm. and um and so in that way i've contributed right like i've i've pushed the ball farther down the field you know in the wrong direction um mm -hmm. as a young person um and and thankfully i've you know realized my ways and 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 you know that those times why do you think why do you think you did that as a kid i mean was it just that everyone else was doing it was it the, that you thought that was cool or fun or irreverent to say because i think sometimes it's not even the the racism or homophobia remember when mm -hmm. there used to be a lot of it wasn't necessarily intended it was just like oh let me just be irreverent and flip or why why do you think you yeah, that's such a great. Like that. It's such a great question. Um, I think it had to do with certain things I was around, um, uh, uh, and you know, I want to be careful uh, not to throw anybody under the bus. You know, um, mm -hmm. as you understand, um, which as you've talked, you've done such a good job at that. There's so many things where you could like say people's names or whatever, and you're just like <laughs> very. Um, anyways, it's amazing. You're such a great example for me, um, but. Uh, I think that there were things that I was brought up around, um, personalities that I was around, um, that I would uh, maybe naturally want to, um, you know, get approval from. Um, and so you join in on the joke because you're looking for approval. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, th I know that I'm someone who desperately, you know, wants to know that I'm doing a good job, um, that, uh, that uh, you know, I probably give off this air of like independence and oh i'm great you know i'm super confident and all that and yet i like desperately want to know that like it's okay I, i'm doing you're doing a, a good job kelly and i talk about this a lot mm. um actually uh you know that that we are like venturing out into waters and we feel very alone sometimes because we don't have that support mm -hmm. that um that you would maybe want or think is like naturally supposed to be there and um and it's scary you know and um so when you're young and you're around certain people, um, you think, well, I need to do this to fit in, you know, and it's almost your own like survival technique. What are you going to do as, you know, a 15-year-old? Are you going to like stand up at the table and go, hey, guys, that really puts our friends, our, our friends of color down when you say that. So stop it. That's what we should do. But hell Maybe if I'm going to be more kids are probably doing that now than they did like yes. 15, 20, 30 years ago. That's um, right. That's right. Thank still, God. It's still a risk. Um, it's still a risk. You know, as you speak, Clint, I, you know, I am always talking about Brene Brown's work, but I think we talked about this on the podcast with Brene, mm -hmm. it, that, that what, what it sounds like the reason that you made these jokes is because you wanted to belong. Right, that yeah. human beings mm. crave connection and belonging. These are immutable needs of human beings: connection yes. and belonging. And yeah. you wanted to connect, and you wanted to belong. And but what Brene found in her research that the opposite of true connection is trying to fit in. So when mm. we fit in, we don't show up. We try to fit in. We don't show up as our authentic selves and allow ourselves to be seen yes. and hope for yes. the best. Yeah. Um, we shape shift. We say and do what we feel like we need to do to fit in with a group. And mm -hmm. a lot of us get, figure out how to fit in with groups, right? But then 
if that's what we're doing, we're not presenting our authentic self or we're doing things that aren't consistent with our values, that's actually not true belonging. And so the work is really to find a way to find true belonging. We have to belong to ourselves. Mm. Brene talks about in Braving the Wilderness is the book where she, um, it's just so necessary, um, I think right now. So I think so much of what is going on in the world is that we are trying to just on a, you know, psychological level, we're trying to fit in. And I think too, we're also for a lot of people who are vehemently racist, right. Or vehemently in denial about white supremacy. Some Mm. of it is about fitting in. And then some of it is trying to make, um, sense of, um, the th- things that don't make sense, right? I mm. just, on my, on my podcast yesterday, I interviewed um, Dr. Joy DeGruy, who wrote a book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm. And in the book, she um, talks about the sort of historical trauma of uh, that black folks experience as a result of, you know, chattel slavery in the United States and that those injuries, right? It's, if we, th- when we think about trauma, like PTSD, for example, you can be traumatized by one incident, right? By yeah. directly experiencing it or indirectly experiencing it. One yeah. thing, you can be in therapy for years and everyone isn't affected by trauma in the same way. So one person mm-hmm. could be traumatized by any event and another person might not be. Mm-hmm. With chattel slavery, you know, black folks were, you know, brought here from Africa, right. sold into slavery. Um, often our children were sold from us, mm-hmm. our partners. Um, women were routinely raped and it wasn't considered illegal. Um, mm-hmm. We were propped for hundreds of years in, the, in this country. Yeah. After emancipation in 1865, there was no therapy. Let's like you know, ha, you know, get together yeah. and make sure the um, you know freed slaves now are you know psychologically, emotionally well. The yeah. Ku Klux Klan was invented, right? <laughs> and right. then yeah. racial terrorism and lynchings happened after. So yeah. all of these things happen. So there's there's trauma from that, right? Um, yeah. And there's going to be historical trauma and intergenerational trauma. But then, the post-traumatic slave syndrome isn't something that just black folks experience because white folks also experience it because to mm. enslave black people during that time, the, the white folks at the time had to make black folks less than human. That's yes. the only way you can justify enslaving someone, working someone so hard that they died, you know, right. um, that's the only, that they're not human. And they found all these ways with science, I say science in quotes, to make tra- uh, um, um, black people less than human. I always mm-hmm. say trans because it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> but it's, it's black people less than human. And yeah. in that process of dehumanizing black folks, they also dehumanize themselves. Mm. So white folks are also in um, dealing with post-traumatic slave syndrome. And the denial of that, and Brene, to bring the Brene back to it, Brene says when we own our story, when when we deny our stories, those stories define us. But when we can own our stories, we can write a brave new ending. So many white folks and some black folks and people of all races actually want to be in denial about that history, that legacy of white supremacy, of structural racism in the United States. And that denial doesn't allow us to own the story. So that denial continuously defines us. That history continues to to define us because we're not owning it so we can move past it. And that is the, that's not just the thing. And when people are like, black people are always talking about slavery. We haven't, we haven't healed from it. We went from slavery to, you know, um, we do reconstruction. The Klan started happening. Lynching started happening. Jim Crow was instituted. Sharecropping happened, right? So with sharecropping, folks, um, we don't really teach this in schools, but with sharecropping, I'm from Alabama. My um, grandfather was born on a plantation, a sharecropping plantation. Mm -hmm. When black folks were arrested, they could be, they were sold out of prison. Um, mm. back in 
into indentured mm. servitude. And um, 13th, um, um, Ava DuVernay talks about this in 13th, yeah. that you know when slaves were freed, we were freed except during incarceration, right? If you were incarcerated, yeah. then you could be sold back into slavery. My great-grandfather, Manuel Cox, um, was, was free, and he um, obviously <laughs> he was born in like the 1890s or something, but had, um, ended up getting arrested. It's a long story. And mm-hmm. then from prison was sold into indentured servitude, and that's when my grandfather was born on a plantation. Wow. And when mm-hmm. they were on those plantations, they were beaten. They were forced to work in brutal ways, right? So the same mm-hmm. things continued after emancipation, right? And then Jim Crow, and then... All yes, the things that mass, right. mass incarceration. So all it just we never have done the work to like own this and to do the mental health work of all yes. that trauma. Yeah. yeah. And I think and 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 what Dr. Joy reminded me of yesterday and what the history of black folks in America reminds me of is in the face of all that, there was we so many of us had love in our hearts. And mm. in the face of all that, we created some of the best culture and music and dance that the world has ever seen out mm. of that um horrific trauma but yes. but it's but it's not just something that black folks experienced white folks experienced it too and it's a brutal awful there was a bill there was a, there was an attempt um, in, in an educational setting to like basically not talk about you know slavery in schools because white children would tr- would be traumatized. This white girl mm-hmm. apparently I just saw this yeah. new support. I, I wish I could cite it directly. So a white kid was like horrified by he, th- hearing about her ancestors having done what they did, and the mm-hmm. parents did were like horrified that their white child was traumatized and so didn't yeah. want this to be taught <laughs> instead yeah. of like and so. A lot of people don't even know this. Like, it, there's so many parts of our history we don't know, yeah. and part of it is that it is so horrific, right? Yes. To, it's 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 awful stuff. Um, but you know, we th- look at Germany and the Holocaust, and Dr. Joy talks about this. That like, you know, Jewish people, if you deny the Holocaust, they they I mean, they it. And there are people who do that, unfortunately. But Jewish folks right. are like, we have to remember, we can never forget. And mm-hmm. what what has happened in Germany is that they're like, we can't let this happen again. And they've been made, they've done really intentional things in Germany to make sure that that does not happen right. again. Right. We're, you know, years after slavery, we're like 150 years. Of, we have not done that in the United States. It, yes. We right. haven't done it. And so right. that is the. And there's people in, in the in the gaslighting and the deny the this, this just white supremacy. There's people on TV every night saying white supremacy isn't a thing. That like black people are just crazy and want to yeah. be victims. And even and this is for me, it's really important. Even in, in the acknowledgement of institutional racism, the acknowledgement of you know, what Bell Hooks calls imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, I'm mm. not a victim. You know, I, I I'm I'm not a victim, and we need not assume a victim, you know, sort of stance with all this. We can acknowledge it, but we can also acknowledge our agency, acknowledge the ways mm. that we can resist it as, as people of color, but yes. also what for, for white folks. And I, there, I, you know, I love to, you know, think about all the amazing white people I have in my life who are doing this work. Brene Brown is a really good example of a white person who's doing it publicly. Sure. I just think it's incredible. And it's, this is work we have to do with ourselves. And it's like, how do I start? What do I, how do I interrogate? And this is, and it, for me, I think everybody's racist, right? I, it's not even, I'm a black person, and I always say this, I'm a black person born in Alabama who internalized negative ideas about myself as a black person and mm. other black 
people because of the culture, right? All of these things that we're taught about black folks, that black folks internalize. I have had to unlearn those things. If me as a black person has internalized negative ideas and stereotypes and stigmas about black folks, isn't it possible that someone who's not black will also do that and need to do <laughs> you would think some so. work to unlearn that? And this, so right. it's like, how do we have self-reflection? I think we're, we're in a culture where some of us are more open to self-reflection and, and to interrogating in a loving way, not in a guilt way. And, you know, I'm you know, the white fragility. I, I'll, I don't know if any of that's useful, but I think it's mm-hmm. been a loving way, lovingly interrogate everything we've been taught. And, yeah. Um, question everything that we see that it it has to start with us and I think if we're always in a space of blaming someone else right our politics Mm. is basically meant to set up to say you know what do we what should we be afraid of and who do we blame that's Mm. like Democrats Republicans all of them they're doing that and so where there's no personal accountability there there's no like, you know, then I am absolving myself of, of any kind of um, accountability in the equation because then I can make, okay, the people, you know, um, people from South America, Mexicans, they're, they're coming and taking our jobs or they're bringing crime. Right. That, that, right. That's obviously a fallacy. I'm not like saying no, that. No, 100%. The, but that yeah, is the, right, yeah. that's right. the narrative that folks can glom right. onto or, or you right. know, they've shipped our jobs overseas. They have. <laughs> yes, you know, NAFTA was a problem. Um, mm-hmm. all, there, so there are policies that are affecting people's lives, but instead of um, looking at the policies and the structures, we're blaming people, right? Um, and, and we're not looking at the institutions and because it's easier to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's... there's a lot of misinformation too there's a Mm -hmm. lot of um, I mean I think we have to be willing to do our self interrogation but then we also have to acknowledge the ways in which our media um, cable news the internet um, Mm -hmm. algorithms radicalize us and and, and, and get us in certain how do we and we're not even teaching critical thinking in schools I think critical thinking now is one of the most important things we need so when we get a news story we're like okay the source of this news story is a little questionable do I trust them how do I like where can I go to verify this information that I'm getting so I'm not just taking whole cloth what a news commentator is telling me about something Right. right? right so that like that but we don't we're not Funding education, right? We're not <laughs> prioritizing education and, and, yeah. and, and keeping people and not doing that. Actually, it's, you're able to control people more. So it, yeah. there's a lot of systemic things going on that need to be um, to be worked out. And it's 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 an interesting time and it's an opportunity we have right now in this country. But I'm afraid that we're not going to take it and that because there's a, there's some structural things that need to be be worked on. Well, there there are not really. Taking, making the effort to make those structural changes. I think, um, you know, what you said was self-accountability and, uh, you know, uh, uh, among other things. <laughs> among um, other lots of other things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, no, it was all so good. Laverne just, rants. Laverne I, just uh, rants about. No. <laughs> I'm just sitting here going, shouldn't I like, like, you know, this is like a therapy session here. Like, shouldn't you, you know, like send me a bill? Like, this is not fair. I'm like, this is, it's totally one-sided. I'm just getting, not that I have anything to offer to you anyways, but um, it's just, this is just not fair. It's so good um, what you are throwing out. So thank you. I, the, the self-accountability stuff, you know, that's, that's why I bring it up. Um, yeah. you know, just recognizing that, yeah, I made jokes at other people's expenses when I was younger. And yeah. even when I 
it's lucky that it's not on the internet. A lot of us did. It's lucky that I'm, I'm assuming it's yeah. not on the internet, you know, right? No, yeah, and right, people right. can change and evolve, and we need to have give them grace to do that, right? Um, and how do we do all this with love? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, like, for me, I mean, when to be in love, I mean, it, it seems like you and Kelly are madly in love, and I don't know what <laughs> what, the, what your relationship is, but isn't that just the yes. best thing in the world? Yes, that love? absolutely. And I 100%. have amazing friends in my life that I love, and they yes. hold me up, and I hold them up, and this love thing is something that I, I mean, for people I don't know, I have love and compassion and empathy, mm-hmm. and it's like, can we... Can we like get that energy going, that love energy going, right? Like yes. send that out in the world right now, because I think yes. like if we can like make generous assumptions, right? What is what is bra- that braving acronym? What, um, 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 big, no, it's big. Um, Brene Brown again. What is um, <laughs> what? What boundaries need to be in place so that I can stay in my integrity and make the most generous assumption about oh, wow. a person? B I G. Wow. Um, okay. Like, how do we? The love piece allows us to make you know a generous assumption about folks. You know, yeah, sometimes people right. and when people show you who they are, we should believe them, right? Um, yes. But we can still and we can love them from a distance. Sometimes, sometimes everyone's not good for us in our personal lives, but like we can love them and we can have compassion yeah. for them and root for them I, someone that I know that I um, have and peripherally in my life that we were friends and we grew apart they've done some horrible things to people mm. I love them horrible mm. things to people I love mm. and I'm, I'm so upset about what this person has done to mm. friends of mine to people I love but I, I, I have compassion for them because I know they're hurting too mm. I know this person is hurting and I understand that they're traumatized and did some awful things. Yeah. And so I can, you know, I can set boundaries with that person. So this person is going to be in my life, but I don't, I don't hate this person. I mm. have compassion for, for them and I love them still. But I'm also like, what you did is not cool. What you did That's is right. not cool. That's right. So how yep. do we like, how do we do that in, in, in this world? So, so that we are not, someone said something awful one time so we can never, so we're completely discredited. Right. Yeah. That, is, that doesn't. That's that's not. That doesn't give people space to transform. You know, Cornell West yeah. talks about um, in an interview I just watched of his. He talked about LBJ, who was um, um, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was a you know a segregationist and a white supremacist, mm-hmm. and signed the um, Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act. Right. That right. like if if he, so <laughs> you know that he had a, he was able to transform the guy. Yes. Um, John Newton. I was just watching an interview about the guy who wrote Amazing Grace was mm-hmm. a British. Um, soldier who like you know transported slaves right and then he he got religion and realized how horrible what he was doing was and he mm. wrote this song amazing grace right wow. and so people can change and people can transform and so yeah. we if i hope if we can love people through through the mess if we can love them and, and love ourselves right um yeah. we, we can give people that space and that grace I and mean, i don't think it means we sh- we're stupid but it's it's not that we you know yeah. get into abusive relationships, right? And I say this that was the word in my head, abuse. Yeah, like, I say this interpersonally, and I say it politically, right? Like uh-huh. I think like some people are in abusive relationships with the Democratic yeah. and the Republican parties, right? Mm. I think a lot mm. of people are in abusive relationships with those with those political parties, and yeah. so we need to like yeah. you know we have to have elected leaders, right? But we need to like set some boundaries around yeah. how we what we how we you know hold them accountable how we yeah. you know who we elect and it's it's tricky because the system is very very corrupt and very very troubled well, <laughs> well again, yeah, no it's good uh well 
<laughs> oh, I love your laugh. Um, well, um, you know, one of the things, and so I want to transition to this. And it's funny, I didn't even mean to get off on what we just got off on. And that was like, so good. So great. This is wonderful. Um, I was trying to transition into, you know, I, you know, was a very, I would call it like a zealot, you know, a religious zealot for much of my younger life and whatever. And, and what so religion, what religion? Uh, Christian, and I was uh, Southern Baptist. Um, oh, you know, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> I was raised African yeah. Methodist Episcopal. It's like it's, uh, okay. a, it's not quite Southern. The Baptist, you know, got the spirit, and we were a little more, yeah. you know, sort of reserved, <laughs> a little more refined. <laughs> um, yeah. But we got the spirit too. We, you know, yeah, you do. Yeah. We got the Holy Ghost, honey. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know that there was just a lot of fervor and a lot of energy, and I was kind of really good at saying, well, this is not right because of this, and this mm. is not right because of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, just sort of like what you're taught to do, you know, here is the outline of what you're, of what being a Christian looks like. Here is what, you know, that's sort of how it worked. And so as long as you stay within those molds and then argue against anything that is trying to be different than that mold, you're like a perfect Christian, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just the way to do it. And so I had my arguments for everything. When it came to transgender people, you know, one of the things that I'm so ashamed of is that, you know, my argument was I would I would say, well, that's, you know, that's just for, and I'm so ashamed of this, um, but I need to say it. Um, it, it. It was this, this is for people who are bored with their life, who are, who have a lot of money. And they oh, can wow. afford to go do something. You know, they just, you know, they, they're not really sure. And this is a long time ago, Laverne. So uh-huh. I definitely am not, I'm not sitting in that anymore. But I want to talk about where I've come from. Um, and where did sure. that idea come from that, like, if a trans person has someone who's bored and has a lot of money? <laughs> like, no, where did that idea it, come from? It, like, I don't even know. I, I think it's so stupid. It's just, I think you see it like, I think there was more like Hollywood folks in, you know, um, that were maybe famous, that's who we hear about as trans. And so, and so you just automatically like associate that with wealth and, you know, Mm. just people that are consumed with themselves already. And so you go, well, those are people that are just like, you know, bored and have a lot of money and, and they can afford to do that sort of thing. And so they're just having fun with their life because they are chasing a thrill or whatever. How stupid. Like, what an idiot, right? Like, um, but that's where I come from. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a, a part of the upbringing, a part of the um, ignorance that I brought to the table. And I just think back. How Laverne, did your religion at, play in that? But continue, but I'm curious about the religion part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll definitely speak into that. I, th- I think what I want to say is that I'm so sorry because what I did was I you know, my arguments weren't solid. They were stupid, you know, like, um, but um, what they did was they certainly, uh, they pushed the ball down the field. They advanced the agenda of people who were trying to silence transgender people. And so that's the same thing with like racism, right? Like, yeah, I didn't own slaves, but did I ever make jokes? You know, the butterfly effect. You put something out into the world, it has a ripple effect. It 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 moves, you know, it moves things, it changes yes. things. And so in my own way, you know, having a discussion with someone or or you know, talking to people about why I thought it was wrong to be gay and and all this different stuff because again, you know, that's what we were taught in 
you know, through religion and, and, and church and sermon after sermon after sermon, and you felt all this guilt. So how did you get from, you know, what you called religious zealotry, mm-hmm. making fun, of, you know, all the misconceptions you had about trans people and making mm-hmm. fun of gay folks to where you are now? Like, what was that? I mean, was that evolution, like one specific incident, a series of incidents? like, how are you, how did you land where you are now, where you've let go of some of those things? All of those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I, I think that again, even, and I don't know how to discuss this, you know, but I, so I may get this wrong, but I think that even in my youth, my younger, younger days, when I was, you know, joking around about stuff or arguing why this was wrong or, or whatever. Um, and even in, you know, as a young adult, like, you know, a missionary and, and using scripture to, say why you know homosexuality is wrong or or whatever um i think even then i knew that that was not really how i actually felt to be mm. totally candid i i really do feel that way i i don't there was something in me that was like i don't really believe the shit that i'm throwing out there but i felt like i really needed to do it because that was the world i was trying to fit into and again um, fitting in fitting in uh, yeah there you go exactly trying to belong a hundred percent um my wife and i when we were in our early 20s like 24 25 we we moved to europe and quite honestly laverna that was the beginning for me of you know just getting out of the united states of america and seeing the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and going wow i'm so ignorant i I have so much to learn. And and that was really, I think, the beginning. Um, Kelly has also been way more progressive than I have been. Um, She's always been a little bit farther down the road than I have always been. And she actually really has helped me, you know, break away from that and be who... And I'm trying to be careful because I'm I'm not trying to say, like, you know, deep down in my core, I'm this, like, awesome person. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I do think that I she allowed me to become more myself. Mm-hmm. Someone who's like, I don't even believe these arguments. I'm not even, I, why? I don't care. Be gay, be, you know, be you. That's who you yeah. are. Like, and, and, and I think, you know, when I finally got to the point where I wasn't scared of upsetting people and, and even failing, because I, I think, I mean, you know, again, let's bring up Brene talking about like all our books being burned and having, you know, basically like moving out into the wilderness. And I talked with Jen Hatmaker about this, you know, a few weeks ago, same thing, you know, you know, as you come out and support these things, you know, um, what is going to happen. That's the world that I grew up in, Laverne. I mean, you, and I was a part of it. I mean, if, if somebody mm-hmm. stepped out of line, out of the Christian argument, you know, out of that, out of that world, and they stood up for something that was anti- what we all were like believing, I mean, you shun the hell out of that person, right? Like, yeah. I mean, so who wants to do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think we're also seeing it for people who are more progressive now, who um, if mm. you say the wrong thing about trans something or about mm-hmm. 
people of color, then like you're shunned in a way on Twitter now mm. it's on Twitter or you know mm-hmm. social media. And so it's it's like how do we extend grace to people and not be in a space of judgment? Mm. Um, I think is really critical. I think the Christian thing though, I think what's important to note is that I mean I grew up Christian and one of the big things that I remember being taught is not only to believe in God and the God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, mm. but mm. also to take the Christian message out to those who need it. Right, that is right. a part of what we are taught um, in the Christian mm-hmm. religion that we um, have to go and help save people. Right, that we need Yo, to get them, yeah. you know, help them find Christ. So that is part of the whole gig mm-hmm. that you go out and you know indoctrinate yeah. people or enlist them into you know yeah. um, loving loving the Lord. Yeah. Yes, proselytizing, yeah. and. Yeah. You know, I have I left Christianity a long time ago. I never left God. I never left mm. God. I still very much believe mm-hmm. in, in in God and a, a power or a source that's greater than myself. And yeah. what I always say about the religious thing is that I would invite people. You know, people are going to do what they want to do, but I would invite them to love everybody and let God do the judgment. Right? Like let yeah. God do all the judging. If we don't agree with how someone's living their life, that that's not mm-hmm. really my business. But mm-hmm. like there's going to be a judgment day and there's karma, you know, right? (laughs) That like my job is to love folks and to, you know, give them grace, set boundaries when I need to, um, but love them. And like, I'm, I'm not a judge. I'm not the Lord. (laughs) If you you believe in Christianity, (laughs) there is a judgment day and the Lord will handle that, you know? So we don't need to demonize folks and like, or tell people how to live their lives is the way Mm. I wouldn't like to invite my my Christian and religious friends to think about it. And there are beautiful examples of folks who are still very much Christian who are doing that. Um, Mm. T.S. Madison, who I just interviewed on my podcast, her, she has a um, show on WeTV. She's a black trans woman and her mom is a devout Christian woman Mm. who, you know, prays over everything and manages to love her transgender daughter, her Mm. black transgender. She's a black mother from the South. They're from, Mm. um, um, from Miami and live in Atlanta now. And she still loves the Lord and she loves her child. And Mm. these things are not in conflict for her. And that is such a beautiful thing. That's such a beautiful thing to me. Well, you know, it is, and that's the way it should be. And those are the voices we need to amplify in the stories, you know, because um, uh, again, I think the more people see that, the more we go, oh, wait, it's okay. I think yeah. you are doing such an amazing job of that with your podcast, um, The Laverne Cox Show. It is just incredible. I love it. It is seriously Thank one you. of my favorite podcasts. Um, Aww, I've listened to every I one. I, I'm serious. I've listened to every one except for I think your latest one that came out. I'm not sure, but anyways, it's the um, T.S. Madison all... one that I just mentioned. Okay, yep. Yeah. And they're all so starting good. next week. Come on, there we <laughs> go. You. And uh, they're all so good. Um, you have such a peaceful energy about you. Um, I'm learning so much, and there's there's so many things that like I'm listening to them. And again, so a lot of things I've talked about, you know, obviously these are from my younger days and and whatever, and I've definitely changed, but I still have work to do. I'm just one of those people that believes, Hey, guess what? You know, like this is going to be a lifelong thing. I'm never going to get it right. And I just have to try because I want to be anti-racist. I want to be, you know, anti, you know, uh, 
just not accepting, right? Like, I because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 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 the wrong way to be. The language so, is interesting that we're in this space with language now, where where the the binary of like either you're racist or anti-racist. I mm-hmm. I know that's mm-hmm. um, Ibram Kendi, I believe, and that yes, kind uh-huh. of idea yes. about. And, and I and I I'm like okay, but like I I'm always skeptical of binaries. I'm always oh, skeptical yeah. of being uh-huh. in this space of like, you know, because things are way usually way more nuanced, right? Like life yes. is way more nuanced sure. than like this black and white. Either you're racist or anti-racist. I think it's like. I think what I would like to envision is that we're all on a journey to mm. be to do better. Well, yes. hopefully, um, if we choose to be, we're on a journey to. I'm on a journey to um, continually interrogate th- my internalized racism, my internalized transphobia, mm. Um, mm. the ways in which I might be ableist. Right, I'm an able-bodied person, and so there's things that have blind spots. Right, so I'm on that journey, and um, I think being in this sort of binary, then I think also. Um, allows us to sort of be able to say that certain people are bad. I oh, think when yeah. we say wow. they're not, sure. that's, that's racist. Um, it, it doesn't like it. I think when we can frame this thing as like, we're all racist and we've all been indoctrinated in the, into this thing because of media mm-hmm. and culture and institutions. And we all have to go on a journey. It's, it's not like those people are bad over there. I think like, mm-hmm. I think it's never, useful to to call someone racist i don't i you know i don't think that's actually useful because because most most of us are i think we can talk about a behavior and say well this um you know i I like to use the roseanne Barr moment as an example a lot i don't know her i'm sure she's a lovely woman but you know when she famously said what she said about valerie jared on twitter which was Mm. the one of the most racist things that one could say about a black person is consistent with a history and a legacy mm. of um, racism towards black folks. If folks to know what I'm talking about, they can Google it. I can't repeat it because uh, it was yeah. just so vile. Yeah. And then, you know, Roseanne Barr would say this, and then many hours later would go on Twitter and say, "I'm not racist," when she said the most racist thing it, possible. Right. And so, <laughs> and so, and. So we can, we can, and I think labeling a person a racist too, then it becomes their identity and who they are instead of something that they have done, right? And and so then it becomes shaming, right? Um, Remember, Mm. um, guilt is, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. mistake. So instead of calling someone racist, which I think is shaming, say this was racist, this behavior was Uh, racist, this was consistent with a history of comparing black folks to to, to a and animals, right? There's a mm. long lineage and history of that that can um, yes. consist that continues to this day. That is more useful than saying this is racist, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to go there. The other recent pop culture example, but I won't even go there because I, <laughs> I know people in that. But do you do you, do you feel me? So that it's yes, like, I do. It's more, yeah, it's it, great. Let's talk about the behavior. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about politics um, mm. instead of like saying someone because calling someone racist saying someone is bad and it's it's the it's shaming instead of talking about the behavior and talking mm-hmm. about how that might be consistent with a system or a politic wow. or history that yeah. is um you know when we, when we talk about trans folks you know you talk, said that you know it was bad and i think a lot of the that thing that you know this is a privileged thing that people with a lot of money you know i think that it because for 60 years the narrative about trans people focused on surgery and transition which and that health insurance right. didn't cover <laughs> 
right? Right. So um, when the majority of, you know, when the unemployment rate in the trans community is three times the national average and four times that for trans people of color, over Mm. 40% of trans people make less than $10,000 a year. So Mm. most trans people actually are not wealthy, right? Right, right. You know, but we see, you know, wealthy trans people, like we see me on TV and we see, you know potential gubernatorial candidate on television and we uh. make all these sort of assumptions about who trans folks are. So, yeah. you know, it's media, but then it's just, I don't know. I just, I think if we can have, if we can not demonize people, I think the biggest piece is like we, the thing that we, I talked about with Brene is that we rehumanize folks that yeah. we, and rehumanize ourselves in the process so that yes. like we, give folks grace and understand that they're human. We're all human and we all make mistakes and that it, we're all going to, we're going to get this wrong, you know, a, a yeah. lot. And yeah. that's okay. And I think when we can have conversations like this with love and empathy, we can get to a new place. But if we're yelling at each other and saying, Ugh. you're a bad person and there's yeah. nothing you can, you should be canceled. And we'll, then people are just bad and irredeemable. And that's that's yeah. not even Christian. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I think you bring up such a great point because I wanted to point this this one episode out, um, but the binary and everything. Um, your podcast has teached me so much. Again, I look at myself and, and I shouldn't, but I go, I'm, you know, I'm progressive. I'm like, I'm going down. It's sometimes hard not to pat yourself on the back because you see other people that you're still connected to and you go, wow, I'm so much farther down the line. And, and you kind of, I'm just being candid. That's what you think. And then you have to like get rid of that thought and go, no, I'm not. I'm on a journey and I'm just trying to figure this out. This just happens to be where I'm at right now. And listening to your podcast really teaches me how much I still don't know. Yeah. And so, um, oh my gosh, um, uh, I'm going to mess her name up. Is it uh, no, Vert, I know, I know a loke, but I wanted to talk about um, the fat, yeah, fat phobia. Oh my gosh! Like listening to that. Po- wow, I mean, Virgie I, taught us a oh, lot. Virgie's teaching us so much, right? Whoa! I was crying. I'm driving. I almost had to pull my car over. I was crying. It was just. Oh, I I cannot tell people enough. Please go listen to that. It is just an incredible episode. Um, but then you spoke with um, also with Alok and Alok. Am I saying that right? It's not Alok. Alok it's Alok. Yes. It is Alok. yes. Okay, thank you. And Alok has done um, so much, so much work, uh, gender nonconformity and the binary and all of this stuff. And you know now I follow Alok on social media, and it's such a great thing to see Alok in this dress and this hairy chest and lipstick, and it's like Alok is being Alok, you know? Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. And it is so amazing and powerful, and just like listening to that makes it makes me understand how important it is. It's hard for me to like do the mental gymnastics to make sure that I don't assign something a, a gender to a loke when I'm speaking about a loke. But you know what? Damn it, it it's just gonna have to be uncomfortable, Clint, and you're gonna have to do a little mental gymnastics because that's gets fair. Easier, and that's, though. can I tell you? Yeah, with, it does. Gender, as you talk when, about it, um, gender neutral pronouns with they them pronouns. I had a hard time in the beginning too. I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. this is really hard. <laughs> and then I and then I, I I met a really a dear friend of mine, and we got really close. Mm. and I love this I have to reach out to this person we haven't talked in a while we got mm. really close and I was like I 
want to honor their pronouns because I love them. Yes. And I was like, and then it's like, it's not that hard because we actually used they, them singularly all the time when we don't know if right. gender. We're already doing it. So I was like, it's right. actually not that hard. But like, yes. it's an adjustment though. But it is an adjustment. And sometimes people just get so frustrated because there's just so much adjusting that we have to do, right? It's just, it's like, it gets, I I've even been there, right? Laverne Cox has been there when like, I'm just, mm. when I was called out on Twitter a few years ago when I, um, when we were talking about the um, anti-abortion law that it just passed in Alabama, uh, yeah. my home state that would criminalize you know, doctors um, for performing abortions. And, and I retweeted mm. a friend of mine who said, woman's body, woman's choice, end of story. And someone, and I retweeted that. And if someone was like, Laverne, you're really going to erase trans men from this conversation with this retweet? And I was like, <laughs> I was Whoops. like, Ugh. Dang it. Can we just have a moment? It was the night the bill passed. It was late at night. I was like, can we just have a moment when we just yeah. have to have some sister solidarity? Can we not talk about trans men getting pregnant right now? Do yeah. people really want to yeah. hear about that? And it was yeah. it was a moment that was like I'm not proud of, and I was called out publicly. I'm like Laverne mm. Cox, transgender on the cover of Time magazine, Laverne Cox. Mm. And it was uncomfortable. And I was called out publicly. And I had mm. to. And I, but I, and I remember tweeting, I'm, thank you so much for pointing this out and I'm going to, you know, think about this. And it was uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really yeah. uncomfortable for me yeah. because I want my, I don't want my community to think that I'm, you know, selling them down the river or erasing trans men. And I had to mm. sit with that discomfort and I had to be accountable, you know, and I, I did a, I had yeah. a commencement address a few days later and I talked about it um, and talked wow. about how uncomfortable that was to be called out publicly. I talked about how. I was erasing trans and non, trans men and non-binary folks who can get pregnant and might need an abortion and how mm. important um, language is for people who um, might be seeking an abortion who might not identify as female, but wow. still need yeah. might need abortion services. And that the language we use is actually really important when it yeah. comes to that. And it's like some, and I'm not language police, right? I think that like, especially as an actor, I might end up in a project where I have to say really unfortunate words, right, as, a, as, as an actor. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that we can have conversations about language and uh, the history of language, the political consequences of language. Um, Bell Hooks writes, language is also a place of struggle. I was just a mm -hmm. young girl slowly coming into my womanhood when I read Adrian Rich's words. This is the oppressor's language, yet I needed to speak to you. Language is also a place of struggle, a little Bell Hooks quote yeah. there. <laughs> but like, so it's... It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. you know? And yeah. I think, like, how do we sit with that? How do we sit with it and not lash out? Yeah. You know, that moment on Twitter, I just, I had a moment of wanting to be defensive. I had a moment of wanting to defend myself. And I yeah. had to, I pulled myself back and I said, let me sit with this. This mm. feels awful. Let me sit with it. Let me interrogate. Let me understand what the blind spot was about. Some mm. of it was about respectability politics. There, um... There had been, you know, a, a trans man who had gotten pregnant and was on the cover covers of many magazines and did many interviews years ago. And it, you know, the media made it a spectacle. And I, I know trans guys in my life who are, you know, choosing to get pregnant and, and carry children for various reasons. And mm -hmm. it just, I had in my mind, oh my God, like conservatives don't need to see that and think about that because that's going to set trans mm -hmm. people back. And it's like, mm -hmm. life is complicated. And respectability yeah. politics is not going to get us where we need to go. And so I had to, like, look at all that within myself, you know. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, like, how do we honor people's stories and people's lives and, like, the complexity yeah. of, of human existence? And that's always 
and that's also all of us are going to make mistakes and all of us are going to, you know, get it wrong sometimes. But um, that if we're able to sit with the discomfort of those things, though, and be accountable and yeah. hopefully be met with some kind of grace and love. Um, and mm. if we're not met with that grace and love, we can still proceed with grace and love. Then, yeah. I, then I think we're going to be OK. I think it's all going to be OK. Well, I think you are um, just one of the leading examples of what that actually looks like. And um, in, in, in your podcast, you're doing that in your daily life. And it's really just, um, I can't tell people enough to go listen to the Laverne Cox show. Um, it is just so genuinely good. Um, and I feel like I've just gotten to know you through that podcast. Um, I watched Promising Young Woman. And the uh, Oscar award winning Promising Young Woman. Yes, that's right. Oscar award winning. Congratulations. Um, And I, there was a scene when you walked off a camera, you were behind the counter uh, at the coffee shop and you walked off a camera and um, the lead said something and you laughed. (laughs) And it it made me so happy. (laughs) <laughs> I I genuinely was like, oh, Laverne. Yeah. <laughs> I was just genuinely like so happy because um, uh, just your your laugh is infectious. And um, yeah, I, I'm telling you, it just was, uh, it, 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 that was a great, great movie. You did a great job in it. Um, and uh, um, But just exposing myself to what you are putting out into the world, um, I feel like as put my own growth like in a different gear um, because um, you're just putting so much out there that is positive and wonderful and it makes you think. And I think that's the thing that I hope for people is that they'll just at least be open, right? Just just listen, talk, you know. Um, I, I want to end on this because I know we can't, you know, talk to you all day. I, I wish I could. Um, but um, <laughs> Disclosure, um, your, the movie you produced, correct, on Netflix. Yes. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. That is, whew. Uh, it's, and it's not, it's a, how do I say this? Like when I say it's not an easy watch, meaning like it's, there's, it's some very difficult Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. and um, it's an easy watch in that it's really good and it keeps you connected the whole um, time. But there is some stuff that is just like, wow. And it's um, really- You should know that Disclosure is a, a documentary on Netflix that looks at the history of trans representation in film and television. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes. you for saying that. Yes, exactly. And it is so well done. Um, and it made me so mad. <laughs> After I watched it, I went to bed like mad. I was just like, gosh, we have so, I mean, the way we've portrayed trans people, it's so violent. It's sexually violent. It is mm-hmm. like evil and dark. And it's been that way for like so long. And there's things that you like clips from shows and movies that you put in there that I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like I've totally didn't even think about that. One of the things that is just, Oh, it makes me so mad was the, um, the Ace Ventura Mm. clip, you know, and he's like plunging his mouth and vomiting. And there's the other scene. What was the movie where the crying game? Yes. And the, the, um, who was it? The man that gave the interview at that time. and, And he was saying, you, I forget it, um, who made the, did the, had the interview in the film at this moment. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, and and he was he was talking about how that vomiting scene. He started crying, 
And like, I was crying with him because I was just like, oh my God. Like, he, he said that his favorite childhood film, mm-hmm. basically, his favorite film as a, chi- as a kid, had someone vomiting at the thought of having kissed a trans person. Yes. And mm-hmm. that, that started with, um, we, um, in the film, we, um, um, draw the correlation from the, a film called The Crying Game from the early 90s right, right. where um, Fergus, when he finds out that Dill is trans, he he, vo- mm-hmm. he hits her and then he goes and vomits. And there yeah. was a... Um, so Ace Ventura was sort of parodying that and that yeah. was also parodied on Family Guy and one of right. the Naked Gun movies and there became like this mm. whole sort of ripple of um, film and television that um, presented, you know, a trans woman's body and then someone vomiting, right? So that, yeah. that, that was images we contend in Disclosure were teaching people how to react to yeah. trans folks, um, yeah. which they, they have been teaching that. So mm-hmm. it's... That is, that's painful. That's in, it's infuriating. Yeah. And Ace Ventura is one of those movies that a lot of people watched as a kid, right? And so we're indoctrinating yeah. um, very young people into thinking, having these ideas about trans folks and not really even understanding that, that that's what we're doing. And yeah. so, um, but we can, we can tell the truth about that and we can hopefully do better now that we know better. That's it. I, I, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's what I took away from that was like, okay, this is a really hard discussion that we need to have. Um, you did such a great job of packaging that whole thing together uh, in a way that is like digestible, you know, for people that aren't in that world every day. That's our brilliant director, um, Sam Fader, our editor. Um, mm. Sam, he is, we're doing this project with him and Amy Shoulder, our, our main producer, was just such a joy and mm. I love working with artists who have just this integrity and a sense of purpose and a skill set that to be able to put a story together that is that compelling a disclosure it's really easy to watch and easy to understand even yeah. though we're talking about some complicated stuff yes um, and I think it's kind of entertaining too um very so, entertaining mm-hmm. yes really, um yeah it's so funny. and it's nominated for a Peabody award and we're nominated for a Peabody award yes, yes. thank you for mentioning that well, it yes. deserves all the accolades and nominations and awards and more. It is, uh, it's very, very good and eye-opening. And um, it just, it, it, I think also, I don't know that you're necessarily meaning to, maybe you are, you know, doing this, but like, it really makes you think about how you portray anything. So not just like... That. That. Yeah, like it's not just how we portray transgender people. It's just anything like how what what we're doing when we put something out into the world it really matters and it it creates a narrative and 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 it can be really dangerous and damaging and you just really point that out in the transgender world through the movie disclosure but you can apply it to so many other things and it's really powerful and that's what gets me excited about people watching Disclosure is that in a media environment where there's so much misinformation and propaganda, Mm. Disclosure encourages us to think critically about the the representations and the images that we're getting. And that's probably one of the most important things we need to be able to do right now Um, Mm. with Mm. everything going on with social media and literal misinformation and propaganda. Mm. Well, listen... Thank you so much. Um, I <laughs> I feel like I have just fumbled through this. Like, uh, and, and Clint, you, are you did so, great. Uh, you did great, Clint. <laughs> you Listen to awesome. you giving me. 
No, this is this is actually really beautiful. I need to get going because I have another um, yes. Zoom I have to get Sorry on. But this that. has been really wonderful. I've, I've loved having this conversation, and I, I don't get to have, at least publicly, get to have these kinds of conversations a lot. Um, with, with folks like you, and I'm really grateful for this. So um, I need to. I should do more of this. I'm like, I should do more of this. So thank you so much for ha- inviting me. Thank you for um, all the tables and things you've made for Joanne. <laughs> 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 uh, things are upper that uh, got me here. I'm oh my goodness. <laughs> oh well, you're welcome. Uh, you know, but thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I can't encourage people enough to follow uh, Laverne on social media. Um, and to listen to the at, at Laverne, uh, or excuse me, uh, the, uh, the Laverne Show um, uh, podcast, um, the Laverne Cox Show, um, you know, it, it, it's just so eye-opening. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I'm learning different ways that I can fight for um, transgender people um, mm. and, you know, uh, speaking up against bills that are, you know, uh, being passed that are suppressing and trying to basically erase um, transgender people, which is just um, heartbreaking. Um, and uh, and so I hope that in any way that I can help, um, you know, push the ball forward in the right way, because um, that's what I want to be a part of. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just keep doing what you're doing, because I want to know the different ways that I can help and be a part of it. If there's anything I can do, please always let me know because I want to be a voice um, that pushes um, the ball forward um, for you and, and the transgender community. And um, you're just doing doing beautiful things. And I can't thank you enough for being on this show. Um, I still, I will get, a, I'll go away from this and go, why in the world still? Why did you, <laughs> tables aren't enough. Why did you talk thank with me? But thank you so much. Thank you, Clint. Thank you for that. And we, we, um, we need, um, allies and accomplices. And so thank you for that, for that, for the desire to do the work and, um, we can do it together. Yes, we can. <laughs> Absolutely. You're the best. Thanks, Laverne. You're the best. Thank you so much, Laverne. Thank you. That last hour and change was everything that I hoped it would be and more. Um, Laverne, I I tried to say this to her and I'm sure I did a horrible job, but like what she is putting out into the world, the energy that she carries with her um, and that she, you know, exudes is just so intoxicating. I really, I think people find it her energy on, on all the, like in different platforms. So some people might really feel her energy through oranges of the new black, mm-hmm. or they might find it on, you know, some other project that she's done. You know, for me, it's in her podcast. I really just, I, I feel like I connect with her through her podcast and I want to hear whatever she's talking about because she's just a fantastic listener. And what's really fun is that like, I don't think, I know she has a lot to say, but on her podcast, she just listens, 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 and like really listens a lot. And when she has something to say, it's usually really profound or Mm -hmm. she's like amplifying some point that one of her guests made or something like that. So it's really fun to have had this interview with her because I was really able to actually hear from her, you know, like, I'm almost like, wow, you, you, you can go on a rant and I like it. Like, go, go, please. That's fantastic. She has so many wonderful things to say. And I think that, you know, getting a chance, I can't wait to go back and listen to that podcast because, you know, in these, I'm in the moment and I'm talking to someone and, 
you know, as she said at the end of our conversation, um, we both were agreeing this is a conversation that neither one of us have, that we really have often or at all. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have, you know, because we should have them. And I knew that going into it that like, wow, this is, this is a new one for me and I can't wait to have this conversation. But it was also like in some ways hard for me to even take it all in because it is such a rare thing. I felt like I was just trying to navigate that moment and like be present and really listen to her and also like step into a world that I don't normally step into. And so I think I'm really going to enjoy just like stepping back and really just no pressure and just take in all the words that she that said. That she was saying, yeah. Yeah, you It'll know what be I mean? easier to listen the second time for sure. Yeah. Because you're not so nervous or whatever. Oh, totally. Like I, like I told her, like my, uh, my hands at the beginning of the podcast, like my so palms sweaty. were sweating. She's like, why are you nervous? <laughs> it's me. I know. I know. She's a big deal, man. Laverne Cox yeah. is a big deal. Um, she's awesome. Well, Laverne, um, thank you so much for being on our podcast and, um, for speaking with me and just for taking the time. And I'm sure I didn't give you enough Chip and Joanna gab, but, (laughs) um, maybe one day we'll, uh, grab drinks in New York city or somewhere on this globe. And, uh, we can just gab about Chip and Joe and fixer upper and everything, uh, till we're blue in the face. So, um, just uh, love that so much and love her a ton. And uh, I just wish all the best things for Laverne and and that uh, more and more people will listen to her voice because uh, it will change your life for the better. That's for sure. All right. So this week, it's time to shine the musical spotlight on women again. And we are shining it on Chanel Andrews. Lisa, this is a fun one for a certain reason. Yes. Our friends, I got an email at contact at manunmadepodcast.com from Case Watson nominating... A a two-timer on Man Unmade Podcast. We have played her music multiple times, which is just as... Like amazing as being a host of SNL multiple times. <laughs> yeah, just Same like thing. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Case writes, she um, nominated Chanel Andrews with from her recent album Lover from 2021. It's a heartbreak soul funk album, and it is amazing. Today we're playing the track "How It Was." Okay, here you go. You ready? When I mm-hmm. listen to this, this is mm-hmm. what I think. Lights in the backyard, table, private dinner for me and Kelly. I realize as this is coming out of my mouth now that I need to do this. I have yeah. to do like the, I'm saying it. So this is this you has got to happen. You just put up the lights. So, you, you yeah, have I, the lights yeah. are already there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that, but now it's time for the private dinner. But this is like I would play this music in the background the entire yes. time. Yes, you feel me? I on do. That? that would be a lovely evening. It would. She is. She's just beautiful. There's saxophone, um, piano, and her voice laced with all of it is just nuts. Yeah, it's perfect. And right now she's an independent artist, but I'm like either a that's by her own choice or b she's just figuring out which label she's gonna go with. Because I mean, she's the real deal, man. This is a hot artist. She's amazing. Yes. If you like what you hear, go check out Chanel Andrews on her Instagram at the Chanel Andrews. And then also, just a plug, you can buy her merch through her Instagram as well. So oh, cool. support Chanel, everyone. That, which is great that it's Chanel merch. Chanel, huh, yeah. Yeah. 
You're funny. <laughs> and and her album, it's available on all the platforms. So go listen to it, iTunes, Spotify, and then that's it. Because I'm old, I don't know any of the other ones, but I'm sure there's other ones out there where you could probably find it. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's exciting. Let's uh, roll a few credits, and then Chanel, you do your thing. Thanks, everybody. Man Unmade is produced, organized, researched, and generally held together by Lisa Collins. Audio production and original music by Jackson Palomino. I'm your host, Clint Harp. Thanks for joining us on Man Unmade. Let's listen to some music. Bye, friends. I'm a bit in that